Welcome, everybody. It's great to see everyone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for each person here today. And I pray, Father, that each person will just be touched by you, that your spirit would just uh, touch your heart and help each one of our hearts and each of our eyes and, and our ears to be open to you and receptive to you, dear Holy Spirit, as you work in and through your word, the very living word of God, Jesus himself. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will simply present your message and I pray it will glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our series of messages entitled Miracles and Signs, and this is part three, and we're looking at ascending and descending. Uh, as I've studied this message, there was uh, looking at it, uh, going over it, praying over it. There was one focal point that I was basically going to, looking at, as, as the message would culminate there. But, but in lieu of that, I was thinking, you know what, this message is something, if you have any Jewish friends, this message is really a key message to enable you to witness to your Jewish friends, if you have any. And so, because it, we're going to see that in this message, what, what God has done in witnessing to the Jews, but there's something more important in the message, in a, or in addition, I should say, something in addition to that culminates the message so praise God for that so far in this message series I've talked about a miracle that was followed and connected by a sign that's the uh, the miracle in Cana Galilee the filling of the water pots and changing them to wine at the wedding so that was a transforming power of God and when he turned the water into wine then last week I spoke about it was a hard harder message because the message we don't like to think about so much it was a harder message. It was, I spoke about the sign of purification. And Jesus performed that in the temple at Passover at the beginning of his public ministry. He went into the temple, overthrew the tables, uh, money changers, and said, you will not make my, my father's house a house of den, a den of thieves. And he threw them out. And so there's a picture there of, of when we receive Christ as our Savior, God begins to work in our life to lovingly but clearly show us things that he wants us to recognize that need to be set aside, put out of our life, and, and those things that he wants us to embrace that are in him. And today I want to talk about three events, and it goes along the lines of witnessing to Jewish people. Um, we're, we're not really that skilled as a New Testament church to witness to Jewish people. Uh, I know you can write Jews for Jesus and they have a pamphlet and they have a whole series of things that you can use to, to help you witness. So there's always a resource there. But this message points out three things that you might be able to use in witnessing to Jesus or that you can use to witness to, to Jesus. And so we're going to look at three events today from the Old and New Testaments. Okay, and how they were connected to each other. And each one of the events had a miracle and a sign connected to it. So to start us off today, we look at these three different times that Jesus spoke. Let's look at the first with the conversation of Jesus with, with Nicodemus. I love that. I don't know about you. I love that passage of scripture when Nicodemus is curious, how, do I, how am I saved? Even that line, you know, well, you must be born again. Well, the, the natural rationale says that's impossible to be born again, to go back in your mother's womb and be born again. And, of course, 
a heart that truly seeks God, God will find out what it means to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at John 3, 12 through 17. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And Jesus used events, events involving Moses to teach him about himself. See, Moses was the pinnacle of prophets in the Old Testament and even today. Moses is the one that they look to, the law of Moses, everything. Moses is uh, the most important focal point. So Jesus says, okay, if you're going to focus on Moses, we're going to focus on Moses, and I'm going to reveal to you who's greater than Moses. Okay? So Jesus used these events that we're going to look at here today involving Moses to teach him about himself because Moses was who a Pharisee truly and highly honored. Jesus used the teaching of ascending and descending that was associated with, in Jewish thought with Moses to show how it was a sign regarding him. So hang in there with me on this because we're going to look at three things that we can use to witness to Jewish friends, but also there is the culminary point of this message that is key that I hope you will see clearly. So Moses was seen as a great man of God. He, asc he ascended up the mountain, right? to meet with God face to face, and then he would descend back down the mountain to share God's word with the people. If you study that at all, it's amazing. They go up and they eat, they eat the 70 leaders and Moses, and, and they meet with God and they eat lunch together. And then, and then God even goes, even Moses goes up and meets God at the, at, at the top of the mountain. And you say, that's weird, but that's, that's wild, that's fantastic. And it really, really was. And of course, that started with the original presentation of the law, going up to the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, right? They got the law, which is called the Torah today, which was held, which was held above all else in Jewish faith. So we can read an example of this in Exodus 19, 20 through 25. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What a cool relationship. Not to make light of it with my own terminology, but here's a man that's just a man. He's a sinner like us. He's a human being, and he has a relationship with God, but God's design, God's purpose, and he has designated Moses to be that great leader, and he calls him up to the mountain to meet with him face to face. Wow. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people Least they break through the gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. In other words, not anybody could go up and meet with God. Praise God, you and I can meet with God anytime we want to, right? Through Jesus Christ, we can enter into his presence anytime we want. 
But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. So Jesus used the teaching of ascending and descending. God's at the mountaintop of Mount Sinai. He calls Moses and has him come, come up to the top of the mountain, then to go back and speak to the people, right? And so he's using that teaching of ascending and descending when talking to some of the other Pharisees as well. Look at this, not just Nicodemus, but in Matthew 12, 39 through 40. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We see a, a common denominator, Moses going up, meeting with God, and coming back down. Joel went down, met with God in the, in the mouth of a giant fish, and then he came up out of the water, descending, ascending. This, this, this focal point is something that, that Jewish people understood, the ascending and descending and, and relating with God. And so he's bringing these historical events out and pointing them out. Uh, to the Pharisees as he talks to them. So not only did Moses ascend and descend the mountain, but Jonah descended and ascended the depths of the sea. Inside a large fish, both men spoke with God. I automatically go to Disney and, and Pinocchio when I think of Jonah. <laughs> they must have got the idea from that. I mean, I can't imagine it anywhere else. But I go... but. Be, Going beyond Pinocchio, going to Jonah, and going to the, the reality that that really happened, I just can't imagine being swallowed by a, a very large fish and then being in his gut and being able to be alive and, and listen to God and talk to God and pray to God and hear God, but God dealt with him. You kind of think uh, sometimes we need to fall into the gut of a fish, so to speak, spiritually before we are willing to hear God and listen to God. And so, uh, but God is always there talking to us and wanting us to respond to him obediently, faithfully, lovingly. After bringing up the ascending and descending teaching with Nicodemus that caused the Jewish people to, to so highly esteem Moses, Jesus clarifies that Jewish teaching to him in John 3.13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, and that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, are you seeing the, the, the picture here? Moses, who is highly honored by Jewish Pharisees and Jewish people, he said, Moses goes up and down, talks to God, and then God tells him what to tell the people. He comes back down and tells the people. Jonah, uh, Jonah goes into the belly of a huge fish, goes into the depths of the sea, which God kept him alive, <laughs> right? And then when he was done talking to him, making it clear to him, brought him up to the surface and threw him up on the beach. God has a way of getting people's attention. But that ascending and descending um, pointed to Jesus because Jesus descended 
from heaven to here. He descended into the depths of hell, Hades, Sheol, a waiting place for those that were waiting for the Messiah. Messiah, And then he resurrected. He arose. He ascended. And so Jesus is saying, look, you have Moses going up and down. You have Joah coming, going down and coming up. And I want you to realize that I, the son of man, that, that's, he's saying I am God when he says that, have come down and will come up again. And so he's trying to paint a picture with, with, the, with the Jewish brethren, the, the Pharisees saying, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than Jonah. I am the son of God who came down and goes back up. And so that's a, a very uh, key point that Jesus is making here because if, they, if that Pharisee or those Pharisees that he's talking to, Pharisees being religious leaders of the day, if they hear Jesus and receive him as the Messiah, as Christ, as their Savior, their ears, their spiritual ears and spiritual heart have been opened, and it's a wonderful thing. We know that there were religious leaders in the synagogues that received Jesus as their Savior. We know that uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea had faith in Jesus as his Savior, right? Religious leaders of the day. And so we know that Jesus can and does reach the heart of people. People have to have open ears, open hearts, an open mind and eyes to spiritually receive what God has for them to hear, that God loves them. And he's saying, look, I came from heaven for you, and I'm going back for you. Okay? Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he is greater than Moses because he has descended from heaven itself, unlike Moses, who only descended off the mountain. He's trying to shift the focus from you're honoring Moses so high you don't know who you're talking to. There's someone higher than Moses. It's me, Jesus. And Jesus is trying to show them, I, I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you, and I want you to hear what I have to say. The Apostle Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he, he heard about Jesus the one of the way, right? Those of the way. That's what the Christian church was called before they were called Christians. Those of the way. And when he heard about the way and he heard the gospel message, did he receive it? No way. No, he went out and murdered Christians because they were uh, a threat to his um, way of thinking. But praise God, Paul got a I'm not going to say a rude awakening, as the cliche might be, but a bold awakening, right? And God revealed himself to him, and Paul received him as his Savior. So the Apostle Paul also taught the fact that Jesus was greater than Moses. Paul, Paul preached and taught to the Jews, and, and, and that first century church was mostly Jews, but that population... They were reaching out to the Jews first. And he used the fact that he was greater than Moses. In Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, Therefore the holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. 
For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of these things, which would be spoken afterward. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. What's being said here? What's being said here is simply this. Moses was a faithful servant in my house, amongst my people. He was a faithful servant. But I'm the owner of the house. I'm the one that made the house. I'm one that called out the people. I'm the one that established the nation of Israel. I am, I am the owner. I am the creator. I am, I am the one that's due greater honor because I built it. I built it. Moses was a servant amongst it. And in verse 6 it says, But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. Look, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are part of the household of God. Scripture says we are the household of faith. Are we not? We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are um, of the household of faith. We are in his house. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Praise God. We're part of his house, Right? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. In other words, if we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior and we're confident in him that he's able to save us, then we are confident of that all the way to the end. And we have that assurance. We have the assurance that we are his. No man can pluck us out of his hand. Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, never to be removed. We belong to him. I like that song. That talking, you, know, you know, God still loves us even if we feel far or distant. And, and praise God for that because we love our family and our friends when they're far and distant too. We still love them. So Moses was faithful in God's house. But Jesus is the owner of the house. Jesus is greater than Moses. I hope, you know, Scripture doesn't say if these Pharisees received what Jesus was saying. <laughs> I hope they did. I hope they heard what he was saying. Look, guys, you can honor Moses. He's a great man of God, and he, he's in my household, and he served me faithfully, but I'm the one that owns the house. I'm greater than he is. <laughs> and I want you to realize that. Why? Because he wants them to realize they need a Savior. Moses can't save, but Jesus does. So after that declaration, what miracle and sign did Jesus point out to Nicodemus next? John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There was a weird thing in the Old Testament. The people of God rejected Jesus, or not Jesus, were, were complaining against God. And um, God was not happy about that. And so many of them became sick. Let's read about that. Numbers 21, 5 through 9. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Can you imagine how insulting that must have been to God? 
God poured out manna, or mana, as it's really said, mana on the earth that was bread from heaven, literally, for them to eat to sustain, help sustain them in the wilderness, and they loathed it. They weren't appreciative of it. They didn't just dislike it. They didn't just hate it. They loathed it. They were not happy, and God wasn't happy with their ungratefulness. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. I'm going to stop right there. Slight rabbit chase. My wife's going, don't do it, don't do it, but I'm going to do it. When we were building our house in the Everglades years back, um, it was not uncommon for me and our family to walk across the, the acreage to the pump to pump water, to get water that we didn't have running water at the time. We would have all sorts of snakes slithering by us. We'd have black indigos that were 8, 10 feet long, about this big wide. This wide. We had little grass snakes. We had all sorts of snakes. And so you walked, and in the mornings when the weeds were frozen and they're, they're cracking, and you see these snakes going by, you were just kind of used to it. You listen for rattlers, and you get like this. Like, but in our house, we had what were called pygmy rattlers. And pygmy rattlers are about the size and width of a pencil, and they're red, and they are, they are highly venomous. And they were balled up in a ball like this as a nest in our kitchen pipes as they were building our house. Now, I tell you what, see that feeling? We could handle most of the snakes going by. But those pygmy snakes, somebody was called out to get rid of those guys fast. And so the point here is that, that God raised up a snake that was venomous, poisonous, a fiery serpent. Fiery serpent means that, that when they were bit, they were on fire, not burning flames, but their body was burning from the heat of the infection and the poison that they were bit with. And so... That makes you all feel comfortable, doesn't it? That just gives you the willies. Sorry, Pam. So, verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They couldn't call somebody to come get them. <laughs> like we did. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. This is a picture of Christ on the cross. And you say, but why a serpent? Jesus isn't a serpent. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might know the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin. All the sin of the world, of all mankind, your sin, my sin, all our sin, was placed on Jesus on the cross. And the great enemy is Lucifer, known as a snake, right? And he was on the top of the cross. And at that... That was made out of bronze, and bronze is the metal that reflects judgment. God was judging the sin brought to all men on the cross. Now we can study that a little bit further, but that's another rabbit. 
But the picture is that Jesus was taking the punishment for the sin of the world, and he was lifted up on a cross. And all those that put their faith in Jesus who was lifted up on the cross for their sin and may look to him and say, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died for me. I believe you paid the punishment for all my sins and that you were buried and you rose and that you're alive today in heaven. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come live in my heart. That's essentially what's happening here. They're in agony because of their sin. Their sin brought on or brought forth agony in their lives. And when they, they, Moses said, if you look to this bronze serpent lifted up on a pole above you, what do you mean look up? They're on the ground writhing in pain. And they have a choice to either keep writhing and cursing God or looking up in mercy to God, being represented by this serpent lifted up on a pole, on a bronze pole, and a bronze snake. The judgment of God on sin. And when people put their faith in believing that they would be healed, that's exactly what happened. The poison, the agony, the writhing went away. And their faith was restored in God. They were complaining about God, not trusting God, on and on they go. And he say, look, you can put your faith back in me. You can put your faith in me as your God. The people spoke against God, and God sent fiery serpents to judge them for their sin. Moses prayed for the people, and God sent a miracle through a sign, the serpent on the pole, to forgive and heal them. When Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and all those that were listening to him that were around him, hearing this discourse that we've talked about, he's not just saying, look, I want you to recognize that I am above Moses. What's his motivation? He wants them to understand that he's the Messiah and I want you to be saved from your sin. I want you to be saved from the penalty of your sin through putting your faith in me. Because we know that if we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and come live in our heart, he forgives us our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future. And we are clean. And the Father always looks through the shed blood of Christ that cleansed us of our sin. The Father always sees us as absolutely clean. That's how your Father, my Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father sees us. He sees us clean because of Jesus. Praise God for that. Even though we wrestle with sin, even though we see ourselves differently, God sees us as holy in Him. Hence, we get the scripture that says the saints of God, not because of ourselves, but because of what God has done for us through his son. As the bronze serpent was lifted up on the wooden pole and the people looked at it and they were healed. This miracle and sign was performed again through Jesus on the cross. Bronze, Moses' bronze serpent and Jesus were lifted up and the people were called to look at it for their healing. Now, this is where I'm shifting in this message. First of all, we can look at Moses and Jonah and Jesus, and we can look at um, the the ascending and descending, and and be, you know the the uh, uh, and the examples that we've looked at as a, a way to witness to the Jews. 
Jesus ascended and descended. He's far greater than Moses. But now we're looking at what Jesus provided. He provided healing. He says, we can be saved, but he also wants us to have healing. And I'm not saying that if you're a cripple or you're dying of cancer or you're on your deathbed, or and I'm not saying it's not possible because all things are possible with God. Scripture makes that plain. That the instant you receive Christ, you're healed. No, but God does heal who we are. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Lift up, or NASA, or NASA, and these verses in the Hebrew language means to bear, to carry, or to forgive. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He carried our sins on him for the purpose of forgiving us. The serpent was lifted up on the bronze pole to, for the purpose of forgiving and healing of the people. And it was a, a shadow of Christ and who he is. So there's a prophecy regarding this in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We can be saved and have emotional pain, uh, psychological pain, spiritual pain and distress. And Jesus is there to help us not to have that pain. He understands it. He knows what we're going through. And he wants us to be healed by it. But we have to look to him. And that's the second part of the message. The first is how we can approach Jews. Jesus is higher than Moses because of the ascending and descending and the examples we looked at but also the fact that, we, that when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are saved, but God can bring healing into our lives. And we don't have to live in distress and turmoil emotionally or spiritually. God wants us to live in freedom in him. Free from the bondage of our past, free from the bondage of guilt and shame or whatever. I was just thinking, you know, I used to say, you know, when Satan throws the past in my face, I had to get out, get out of here, you know. Uh, God's forgiven me. Uh, but I kind of am co contemplating and thinking and praying about changing that a little bit, still saying that, but adding to it, saying, uh, get out of here. I don't have a past no more. <laughs> I have new life. I have new life in Jesus, so get out of my face. The past has no claim on me. It's a battle. It is a battle. But God died to save us, and he died to bear our griefs and our sorrows, to take the pain for us so that we can be released from that pain and those sorrows and those things that drag us down. Carried our sorrows is that same word, Nassau, Jesus bore our sin and pain on the cross. The sign of Moses' serpent on the pole and Jesus on the cross brings the miracle of forgiveness and healing to all who look up in faith. He carried our sorrow and pain on the cross. There's a message there. I'm saved. 
But Jesus is there to heal us from the pain so we can be set free from it. What a wonderful thing. Because only you know the depth of your pain or your experience. Maybe you don't have great depth of pain. Maybe you don't have great sorrow or great, great grief over maybe what, what your life was before you came to know Jesus or anything that's happened in your life. But you know what? A lot of people do. And God says, you know what? What past? <laughs> Receive my healing. Let go of that. Are you hurting mentally, emotionally, or spiritually? When I say mentally, I mean psychologically over an issue. Satan got your claw. Does he have his claws in you, so to speak, just kind of rubbing salt in those things? Get out of here. You have no claim on me because of my faith in Jesus. I don't have a past anymore. You say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. I always have a past. No, we don't have to hold on to the past. We don't have to allow that to rob us of being the people and the new people that God wants us to be in him. Are you left wounded from the past or current sins? Do you need forgiveness from God or others? What will God do for you? He heals the brokenhearted in Psalm 147.3 and binds up their wounds. I love that. Jesus is a, not only do I... Have I died to save you from your sins, from eternal punishment and separation from God for your sins, but I've saved you from that harsh reality if you don't receive me as your Savior, but I also have saved you so that I can heal your broken heart. I can bind up your wounds and heal them. We can have scars, but the scars don't have to hurt anymore. And we can move forward. That's a great blessing from the Lord. A great blessing from the Lord. And reading from Isaiah 61, at the Nazareth synagogue on, on one Sabbath, Joseph, uh, Jesus, Joseph, Jesus proclaimed Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty or freedom, right, to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. God wants us to live in new freedom and new life and new joy, new reality and not locked in our grief and pain of the past. Let Jesus heal you in whatever way is needed and set you free. Look up to the one who was lifted up as a sign and a miracle. See, if, like those Israelites that were on the ground writhing with fiery pain, we're not much unlike them if we allow ourselves to wallow in the pain of such pains of the past. Those are burning pains. Those are fiery, crippling pains. And God says, I don't want you to have that. You let go of that because I took it upon myself. And I've come to heal you, the brokenhearted, and to bear your pain. Isn't that a loving God? Amen. Amen. Jesus came to set us free. He descended and ascended to do so. Ephesians 4, 7 through 9. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. God wants, to let, wants us to let go of the past and embrace the new life and the future that we have in him. God wants us not to wallow in pain or grief or, or um, guilt or shame or any of that because he's taken that from us. And he wants us to live in him and be renewed in him. And evidence is in this pa passage that when, when he saved us, he gave us spiritual gifts to live new life in him. So, well, that's an odd tie-in to this message. But what does he say? Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led, cap led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. In other words, when Jesus died, those that were waiting for him to accomplish the work on the cross in Abraham's bosom, he went down into Hades or Sheol, took those out of Abraham's bosom because they couldn't go to heaven until Jesus paved the way through the cross. It had to be done. So once Jesus finished the work on the cross, the gates of heaven, so to speak, are open. And so the people that were waiting, that believed in the Messiah that was come, that had died, that were waiting in that waiting place, Jesus went down in victory and got them, took them back, ascended up to heaven, and gave them gifts. But he gave us gifts too. The new life that those that are in heaven have now have gifts. And the new life that you and I have in Christ, we're given gifts. That means abilities that, that we didn't naturally have. Abilities, abilities that we can only discover as we follow him. And as we follow him, God will challenge us. And as he challenges us and we rely on him, he'll show us his power through the gift that he's given us to use for him. And we can discover at least one or more gifts that he's given us to live this new life. That's my point. He saved us from the punishment of sin through the cross. He saved us to heal our pain and grievances, our, all the heartaches, all the agony, all that stuff I've already talked about. He saved us to take our pain away. And he saved us to give us a new life, a new person whom we are in him with a new future with new abilities to live for him in a way that we never thought possible. So I encourage you to ask God to show you what your gift is that God has given you. And one way you can identify that is that as you serve him, as you yield to him, as you, as you um, follow him and he leads you to do certain things for him, he might lead you to do things that you never thought that he would lead you to do or that you thought was possible to do. But as you follow and you do and you rely on him, he'll show you his grace and strength and power in your life to do and accomplish those things which are not natural for you to do and you'll have joy in them. That's one of the earmarks of a gift. And when you discover a gift that's not naturally yours and it's from God, you find joy in that. And I'll wrap this up. I'll wrap up the message, but I don't want to be redundant, but it's the only example I have in my head. I've told you before, God called me to be a pastor, but I was the guy that sat in the back of the class that was shy. 
to stand in front of class, to give an oral report, was just to shake there and shudder. To, to speak with a speech impediment, which I still struggle with at times. God said, I'm going to have you stand and preach and teach and lead. That's not my character. That's not who I am. But it's one of the greatest joys that I have because it's a gift from God. And that's my point. When we follow God and step out where he wants us to step out, we, are, we have to rely on him to do the job. And we discover that God's doing the job through us and we're, we're being blessed by it and there's joy in it. Mark that. That type of service becomes your gift. And there's one or more of them that God has given every believer in Christ. So I encourage you to ask God to show you and for you to look intently after God to, to reveal that to you. When Jesus died, he descended to Sheol or Hades, the place where the dead were, were awaiting judgment. Sheol is not the permanent place of judgment. Hell, it's hell, uh, not, not the lake of fire, hell. There are two places. Abraham's bosom, those are the believers in the Messiah, the Christ, that were waiting for him to accomplish their work. And there was another holding place, those that rejected the Messiah, that were waiting for final judgment. The grave could not hold Jesus. He had victory over death. Praise God for the sign that he was our miracle that gave us freedom and the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts. He's given us freedom, new life, no bondage in him with spiritual gifts. Wow. Here you go. Thank you for believing in me, genuinely receiving me as your Savior. I give you new life. You're a new person in me. I give you these gifts and go and embrace the newness that I've given you. We can praise the Lord for that. Just go to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for each one here this morning. And I trust you, dear Holy Spirit, that you will just help us to chew on this message, to, to not forget, but to, to ponder it. The things that you've put on our heart that have stood out the most in this message to us. And I pray, Father, that, that each person here has been looking with the, the intent to receive something from you, to hear something from you, and in doing so, receiving that from you, that focal point, that, that which they need to be um, pondering upon and looking at and talking to you about, that you might reveal more of your purpose and your new life that you intend for them to have. Thank you for the newness we have in you. Thank you for the forgiveness we have in you. Thank you that we don't have to have the, the past of sin and guilt and shame and all that went with it shackled to our bodies. But Father, you have unlocked those chains and you have set us free. Let us live free as your people. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.